the most important one answered Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You're right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbour as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. For the last few weeks, we've seen that Jesus has come into Jerusalem. He's ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey. He's been displaying his authority in the face of the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and uh, all the different leaders of Israel. And they've come and they've questioned him. So he, Jesus came into the temple, he turned over the tables and he uh, caused a bit of chaos there. He was making a point. Look, I'm bringing judgment on this place and all you're doing here. Then they question his authority. How have you got authority to do this? Who's given you this authority? Jesus tells them a parable and then they ask him some more questions. You get the Pharisees and the Herodians come and they ask, oh, well, should we, should we pay tax to Caesar? Trying to test him, trying to trap him. And that doesn't work, so they send the Sadducees. And the Sadducees who believe there's no resurrection, they ask him this kind of long-winded question about, well, there's this man and he gets married and then he dies and then married is, this woman's got to be married to all these different men. Then on the resurrection, well, who's she going to be married to? But then he deals with their question. And then we see this man, who's obviously been listening. And it's interesting, if we, if we just looked in Matthew's Gospel and saw Matthew's kind of parallel account of this, and the things that he's picked out, and the way he's related it, we'd kind of think this is just a bit more of the same. Because in Matthew 22, verse 34, we see, just before we've seen, the Sadducees have asked their question, and Jesus has answered them. Then we see in Matthew 22, verse 34, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And do you see that the Sadducees, the, sorry, the Pharisees have come to hear about the Sadducees asking Jesus, oh, drat, Jesus has beaten the Sadducees, he's answered them. And they come and send someone to test him with this question. But Mark gives us, a, he doesn't give us all of that information, but he gives us a bit extra information in another way. We see that actually this one man from the Pharisees, one of the teachers of the law, he was listening. He heard what Jesus had said to the Sadducees. I mean, we can only kind of hypothesize a bit and we can't quite work out what the whole discourse was, was about. But you can kind of get the idea, well, this guy, he was listening. He heard. He thought, Jesus has given them a good answer. He, he's answered them well. So perhaps then we hear Matthew tells us that the Pharisees got together. Maybe this guy goes back to them and said, you see, guys... He's given the Sadducees a good answer. This is what he told them. 
And they get together, and the Pharisee, Pharisees in general, they're not very happy about it. They said, and you don't know whether he said, I, I could ask him this, or whether they said, go and ask him this. But in either case, we see actually as we read the account in Mark, this one man was at least a bit genuinely interested. The Pharisees as a whole, we hear, they're still dead against Jesus and they want to trip him up. But in comparison with the other questions he's been asked, Jesus, this, this man is at least interested to hear a genuine answer. We see that as he, as he responds later on. We hear that he, he understood, oh, he's given him a good answer, given them a good answer. And later on he says, yes, teacher, you're right. He's intrigued to hear what Jesus has to say. Perhaps the whole group that he represents is still dead against him. But this guy's been hearing what's been said, been hearing what Jesus and seeing what Jesus has been doing. And he appears to come as a genuine questioner. Perhaps right at the outset today, perhaps you've been seeing a similar build-up of evidence. Perhaps you've been on Alpha course. Perhaps you've had conversations with people. Perhaps you're here just thinking, as Susie just highlighted, maybe you're thinking, actually, if Jesus came back tomorrow, I don't really know where I'd stand and I'm not sure whether that would be a great thing. But actually, you've been hearing a build-up of evidence. You've been thinking, and you're here with a genuine sense, I want to know what Jesus has to say. I want to know what he has to say. Well, I would say to you today, like this man, you can hear truth and you can believe in Jesus. We don't know exactly what happened to this guy. Jesus tells him at the end, you're near to the kingdom of God. And it would be great to know what happened next. But this is all we hear of this particular teacher of the law. I would say to you, you can know him. You can know Jesus. Even if you'd say, well, all my friends, they'd say it's a load of rubbish. Well, most of these, this guy's friends thought it was a load of rubbish as well, the Pharisees. Okay, but for all of us, in Jesus' reply to this man, we, can see, we, we get to see something of what it is all about. What is all of this about? You see, Jesus has been dealing with their trick questions, their subtle and not-so-subtle attempts to trip him up, to get him to say the wrong thing. So they go, ah, we better arrest him. Then they come with this question. This man who is genuinely interested comes from the Pharisees with this question, a question that they would constantly debate about. Which of the commands is the greatest? Which of all the hundreds and hundreds of commands that we recognise as coming from the Old Testament is the greatest? And they'd be constantly saying, well, this one, this one is, there's a real weight about this one. This one, maybe not quite so, but we put this one here and put that one down there. This is really important. These are the ones where we've got to follow, but that one's more important. And they'd be ordering them and working out and trying to work out which is the best, which is the greatest. And so they asked Jesus, which is the greatest commandment? 
Here's the test again for Jesus. Will he, will he enter into their debating? Oh, this one's greater than that one. This one, maybe you don't pay so much attention. This one. Oh, no, no, I don't agree with that. Different, this whole debate that they would go on between the Pharisees and the different teachers. Or, as perhaps maybe some of the Pharisees were kind of secretly hoping and expecting, will he go the whole hog this time? He's spoken against the temple, in a sense. He's been, he brought judgment there. He's been turning over the tables. He's, he seems to be speaking out against our way of doing things. Is he kind of going to go a whole hog as we see it now and just say, which is the greatest? But don't worry about any of them. The law is out of date. Just get rid of it. What's he going to do? The answer is no. He doesn't do either. Jesus draws, Jesus answers the question by saying, look, this is what it, it's all about. This is what is really important. And in doing so, he goes right to the heart of the Old Testament, right to the heart of the Old Covenant. He goes to those words in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, that they would have known as the Shema, or what they would... What, what, for Jewish men and women, it was, this was something they would have known so, so well. It would have been so important. They would have quoted it and, and remembered it during the day, every day. This is where Jesus goes. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And in doing so, he brings it back. What's most important? God is most important. God is so much more important than anything else. The Lord is God. The Lord is one. And in Jesus' answer, we see God's heart. God's heart through the whole Old Testament, through the whole law and the prophets, through, through everything, right back from the very beginning, his heart for a people who he loves and who love him. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Jesus is just reminding and revealing what the plan has always been. Since God created everything and put Adam and Eve in the garden and said, let us create man in our own image and came and walked in the garden with them. And then as we go through it, he called Abraham out of a foreign land and said, Abraham, come with me and I will make you into a great nation. Come and be my people. I want a people to call my own, a great nation who I love and, whom, and who will love me. Going forward, a bit more, he calls the Israelites out of Egypt. He draws them out, he brings them out from under the captivity of Pharaoh. Wonderfully, miraculously, and brings them through the sea and out into the desert so that they can worship him, so that they can be with him, so that they can be his people, and he gives them the law. 
So we can see that not only is this what God has always been trying to do, this is what the law was all about. What is the law all about? What's the most important thing in the law? See your God. See who he is and love him. Love him with everything. This was the entire focus and the entire point that from the beginning that that God was calling a people to himself who would love him with everything. A wholehearted love. Jesus brings it back to that here. But we see the problem throughout the Old Testament and the problem that was facing the people that Jesus was talking to there. They can't do it. They can't do it. As much as the people would say, yes, we're going with God. We're following him. We're going after him. And they'd mess up. And they'd break his commands. And they'd fall away from him and they'd worship other gods and they'd do all sorts of things. And we see it all throughout the Old Testament. And I apologise that this is where I go quite often. And we did a mini-series looking at King Josiah, but I'm going back to King Josiah. We see King Josiah was a king who came after a couple of pretty terrible kings. But Josiah saw God. He understood and he said, we need to turn back to God. We need to turn back to him. With a whole heart, we need to be wholeheartedly for God. And he cleared the nation out of idols and all the stuff that was just wrong and just needed to be got rid of. And he called to the people, come, let's turn back to God. The people came and they offered their sacrifices and they worshipped in the way they were supposed to worship. It seemed so good. And yet God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah. During the reign of King Josiah, the Lord said to me in Jeremiah chapter 3, that was verse 6. And then as he comes to the crux of his argument in, in verse 10, in spite of all this, her unfaithful sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but only in pretense, declares the Lord. They did the sacrifices. They did, they, they did all the things. But God's judgment on them is you didn't turn back with your whole heart, but only, you were only pretending. What we see throughout the Old Testament, what we see through what Jesus is declaring here, the point, the whole point was a people who loved God. There were commands to follow, but it wasn't a matter of trying to tick the boxes to make sure you did all the commands. God was looking for a people who loved him. The people in Josiah's time, they were, the, the idols were cleared out. They weren't there anymore. But their hearts weren't changed. They ticked the boxes, but they didn't turn back with their whole heart. What Jesus draws us to and draws the teacher of the law to. Look, this is what it's all about. See your God. See how incredible he is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And what? Love him. Love him with everything. This is the whole, this is what, it was, this is what it's always been all about. 
You can quibble about which command should be above which one and whatever. What, this is what the real point is. Do you love God? Do you love him with your whole heart, with everything? It's always been about a heart response. It's always been about relating with God, about relationship with him. But as Jesus goes on, relationship with God, but, but almost automatically, almost you can't detach it, along with our relationship with God and our love from him comes love for our neighbour. He was asked for the greatest command. Jesus said, well, I can't just give you one, I have to give you both. This is the second, love your neighbour as yourself. This is drawing him to see, look, the focus of the law is a life of love. A life loving God and loving our neighbour. Interesting, if we look in the book of Luke and chapter 10, a similar situation, a similar conversation. Another teacher of the law comes to him. Luke chapter 10 and verse 25, we see more about this loving our neighbour. Luke 10 verse 25, on one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You see that teacher of the law, he gave the same answer, he understood Got hold of something. This is what the law is putting in front of us. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But let me see something else about this teacher of the law. He wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbour? Then Jesus tells us the familiar story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. When I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. In asking his follow-up question, the teacher of the law kind of reveals his heart. Reveals his heart. I see, these are the commands I must keep. I must love God. And I must love my neighbour. But just clarify, who is this person I've got to love? Who is it I've got to love so that I'll be alright? Who is it? In reply, Jesus basically says... Amongst other things, why are you asking that question? Why are you asking that question? Why are you asking who should I love? I'm telling you to go and love. 
I'm telling you to go on love. Well, the, the whole point of it was that we live a life of love, that we love God and that we love others. Jesus in his story is showing, whereas the, the man might have liked to think that he was going to say, well, those people who like you, those people who are like you, those people who are in the family, those people who are close to you, What he actually shows is a man, a man who was injured. The man who loves him is the man that the injured man would have despised. The Samaritan. And the Samaritan sees this man who would normally look down on him and he loves him. And he cares for him. Jesus is saying, look, don't try and limit it. Don't try and say, well, I'll just love the people who love me. He's saying, don't try and make it a tick box that you can tick off. Well, I love my family today. Does that do the the job? Jesus is showing the teacher of the law. In fact, in both situations, this is what the law has been pointing to. This is what the law, the focus of the whole law is about. A life of love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love the Lord your God with everything. But it must follow that if we're doing that, if we're doing that, it must follow that we love others. It must follow that if we love, it, if we love the God of love, the one who loves the whole world, then it must follow that we love those around us as well. Jesus sums up in a different place. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. This is the point, love. This is what the whole law was pointing to. And that... (coughs) In the epistles, the, the writers of the epistles go on to pick up on this sense. Look, how can we ever claim to love God? If I love... If we then turn around and say, well, yeah, but you don't matter. 1 John 4 verse 20, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Can't love the God who loves the world so much and yet hate our brother. So Jesus draws the man attention to the fact, look, this is what the focus of the whole law is about. Relationship with God, loving him, loving God. And therefore, therefore loving others as well. He goes on and the the man responds. It's interesting, the man responds and the man is in agreement. What, 12 verse 32. Well said, teacher, the man replies. You're right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. We see this man whose heart, he's genuinely interested. He wants to know And he understands. Jesus has answered well. And he gives this big statement. 
from one, this is one of the teachers of the law. He's saying, look, over and above all the sacrifices, all the offerings, all this system that we've got in place, this is what is important. I agree with you, Jesus, to love God. Love for God is what it's all about. And to love our neighbour. It's a big statement from a teacher of the law who the Pharisees have been seeing, they're trying to kind of protect what they've got and where they're at. This is our system, this is our temple. This is the way you come to God. You come and offer sacrifices here. The man agrees with Jesus. Look, over and above all of that, you're right, this is what's important. To love God with everything. Over and above the sacrifices, which, as he's going to come to see, are coming to an end. What does Jesus say to him? He agrees. You're the, the man agrees. These are, these are the greatest commandments. I agree with you, Jesus. Jesus says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. When Jesus saw he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Jesus acknowledges the man's understanding. He sees, he gets it. He understands that this is the point that God is king, the loving, merciful, mighty, powerful king who loves his people, calls for his people to love him. Wants a people who love him and live for him. And who out of the love that they have for him, that love flows out to other people. He sees it, he understands that's what's important. So why does he say he's near to the kingdom of God? Why doesn't Jesus just say, well, you've got it. You've got it. These are the greatest commands. You're in. No, you're near to the kingdom of God. Because ultimately, if it's still just laws, commands to follow, then it's dead. If it's still, I need to love God, and I need to love my neighbour, and I'm going to put everything I've got into doing both of these, then it's still just dead law. Because ultimately, they're not laws to strive to follow in our own strength. Because we can't do it. If we're still seeing that this is how I please God, if I put everything into following this command and following this command, then God will be pleased with me. And it's still just dead law. He understands they're the greatest commands. But does he yet understand that actually the ultimate purpose of the law was, as Paul tells us in Romans, in Romans chapter 3, Verse 20, therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. And as he goes on, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Does he understand that, yes, these are the greatest commands in the law, and therefore they show how far we fall short of them. Therefore, they show that however much we try in our own strength, we can't get there on our own. We can't get there. 
So we see a teacher of the law who understands what's important in the law, but does he see his sin and his inability to achieve this without the need of a saviour? What Jesus reveals to us is that this love is a result not of following the law, but of our hearts being changed by the one who fulfills the law. By the one who's standing in front of that man. It's interesting, it's almost, it's almost like Jesus gives a kind of interesting double meaning. You're not far from the kingdom of God. He almost understands he almost gets it. He understands this is, the, this is the pinnacle of the law. This is what it's all about. But maybe he hasn't quite understood that he can't do it himself. He's near. But also, he's very, very near to the kingdom of God. He's talking to the kingdom of God. Talking to Jesus, the one who brings God's kingdom on earth, the one who is fulfilling everything that was to, to, that God had promised. God's presence on earth was right in front of him. This love that Jesus talks about, this love for God and the love and love for others, springs out of the hearts changed by Jesus springs out of everything that we're celebrating at this time of year, of Je- the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, stepped down into this place as a baby. The Son of God, God himself, stepping down as a baby, growing up, living a life, a perfect life, and dying in our place on a cross. So that therefore the fulfilment of Ezekiel 36 could come, that our hearts could be changed, that God could take our hearts of stone and give us a heart of flesh. That he could change us. That rather than striving on our own to somehow, I am going to somehow love God today. Jesus changes our hearts. He makes us new. He makes us new creations. That's where this love springs from. Our understanding needs to be not just, well, this is, these, are, these are the best commands. No, this is what Jesus brings us into. This is what Jesus brings us into. Wonderful truth. That the one who was stood in front of that man, he's the one who's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the one who's the door for the sheep. He's the one who Revelation talks of as the Lion of Judah and the Lamb who was slain. The one who changes everything. Perhaps what that man was yet to realise was his need of Jesus. He needed a saviour. Not just understanding of the law, he needed a saviour. And we likewise need this same saviour. This love that Jesus talks of springs forth from having hearts changed by him. And ultimately out of recognition of the love that he has first shown us. That verse we read, I read a little bit earlier in 1 John 4. 
and talks about anyone who claims to love God but hates his brother is a liar. Well, the verse right before that tells us that actually we love because he first loved us. 1 John 4, 19. This love, this love for God, this love that spills out to the others around us comes from the fact that we have first been loved by him. That he has transformed us, that he has set us free. It springs out of getting hold of and understanding and being totally and utterly changed by what he has done for us and what we see so clearly in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. A bit later on, you see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. comes out of an understanding of, look what he has done for us. Do we understand where we've come from? Do we understand where we have come from? He's lifted us from the pit. He's clothed us in righteousness. Where before, when it was just commands, we couldn't do it and we were lost and we couldn't get near him. He has made a way for us to come into relationship with God. So Jesus says, well, these are the most important. These are the most important commands. But they're important commands that are fulfilled through salvation, that are fulfilled through our redemption at the cross, fulfilled through what he has done. So therefore now we can love God. We can be in relationship with him. And out of the love that he has shown us, love springs forth for God and for the world around us. In a sense, because of what he has done, how can we not love God with everything? How can we not love him with everything? If we, as we understand more and more of what he has truly done for us, what, what it meant for him to step down and die in our place, what it, what it meant in the fact that there was no other way for us to be saved, what he has brought us into, how can we not more and more and more love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your understanding? How can we not live a life of love? Because that's what we're called into. A life of love. A life loving God. And a love that pours out into those around us. Not in that sense a life punctuated with dutiful acts of service. Not a life punctuated with things that I need to do and tick off so that God will accept me. A life devoted to him. So we see so, just a glimpse of so wonderfully in Acts, at the end of Acts chapter 2. 
As we see these, these believers who've, who've they've received Christ. And we see that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. See these people, they're just hearts that are devoted to one another, devoted to God, devoted to learning more about him, to knowing him better. Hearts devoted to loving one another. Why? Because Jesus is in them. Because Jesus has saved them. He's caught hold of their hearts. They understand. And the people who were seeing daily their number being added to. In answering the man's question, Jesus shows us this is what it's all about. Through salvation, you're brought into a life loving God. You're now able to love him with everything through the power of his Holy Spirit working in you. And it's a love that is not just a personal me and God, but that spills out to those around us. Not picking and choosing, well, these are the people I like, so I'll love them. But life, the love of God is in us. So we love those around us. And I felt in preparation that God just highlighted to me three areas where this, this life of love is worked out. I felt that he just wanted to call us back to see more of who he is so that therefore our lives would just be full of this love as we go out. And three areas he highlighted to me were, and they're all W's to make them hopefully easy to remember, were work, worship and witness. I just felt that God would, would have us want to live out our lives loving him. And that encompasses everything. I just felt very drawn to this sense of our lives of work. Whatever it is that we do during the day, during the week, whether that's at home, whether that's in a workplace, whether that's volunteering, whether that's looking for work, whatever it may be, whether it's studying, whatever it may be, whether it's going to school. Are we doing everything that we do? Are we, are we going into work out of love for God? Living out his love. God, I I know, I believe this is where you have put me at this time. I'm doing it for you. Because so easily in our working or day-to-day life, we can get into a place of feeling that work is what I do which gets in the way. Work is what I do that gets in the way of doing the kind of important things that I feel that God wants me to do for him. Now, for some, there can be a real sense, and and even in this sense, for some, there can be a sense of real core. I know God wants me to be in this place, and yet it still feels like this is getting in the way of serving God properly. I think God wants, I know, God wants to lift our eyes. See, this is where I've put you. This is what I've got for you to do. Will you do it for me? Loving me. Not seeing it as a distraction or as, a, or as something that gets in the way. It's far more important that I go and serve at Alpha on a Wednesday evening 
or it's far more important that I'm at prayer meeting. I, I, these things are all fantastic things. I'm deliberately picking fantastic things. Yeah. If you're serving at Alpha, do it with your whole heart. Come to prayer meeting, get stuck in and seek God. But at the same time, go to work and live for God with your whole heart. I t- and I say that in the light of talking to myself. Because in some ways we can feel it, it's like, well, doing a secular job, that kind of gets in the way of me living for God. That, 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 that kind of feeling can creep in. can creep in and you think, oh, if only I had more time to live for God or to work for God, to, to serve him in a specific way. And so this kind of sense of, oh, my work is just getting in the way. It's the stuff I have to do. I'm, I'm saying it to me. As I sit in the office here, working for the church, oh, I get to serve God all the time. And we all get to serve God all the time. And I can, I can so easily drift into the same attitude of thinking, I've got some tasks to get done. I've got some tasks to tick off. I've got to prepare to do the important thing of delivering this on a Sunday. But therefore, I better tick off the task of preparing it. Well, the carol services, we've got to get organised. So I better tick off the task of getting it done. And don't get me wrong, they need, the things need to be done. But I want to be doing that out of a heart. I'm serving God. I'm living for him. I'm loving him in it. And, and in whatever circumstance you find yourself in, whichever workplace or whatever, God's got work for you to do. God's got work for you to do. Whether that's helping people medically, whether that's cleaning toilets, whatever above, beyond, other sides, in between, whatever it may be, God's got work for you to do. He's put you in that place. I believe he wants us to see more of the sense of, look at the love I have put in you. Go and live it out, where you, wherever you be, wherever you are. Secondly, worship, and particularly thinking of personal worship and devotion or quiet times or whatever we might, title we might want to put on things. Again, I believe God just wants to draw our hearts back and see Know me more. Rather than it so easily becoming another tick box that needs to be done. In the morning I must spend 15 minutes, half an hour, two minutes reading my Bible. Oh, I've done it. Good. Yes, I don't deny discipline is involved. Yes, I don't deny... And I encourage us to be disciplined and go for it. And, and there'll be times when it is hard and we think, I don't know what I am getting out of this passage or whatever, but I want to know God. I want to know him more. I want to know my saviour more. I believe God will call us to see there is so much more for us to experience. He will call us back. Not... 
In the sense of, oh, we haven't got it right, have we? We've drifted into a bad habit. No, but to see, I'm the God who loves you. I'm the God who loves you. There is so much more for you. And finally, witness. I was just struck, again, as we truly live out lives of love for God, lives kind of standing on the grace that he has shown us, the love that he has poured into our hearts, how can we not share it with others? How can we not share it with others? And yet it's so easy for us, it's so easily we give in to attitudes of, I'm, I'm a bit scared about this, I'm fearful about it. Or getting into a, an attitude of, I really should invite some more people to the carol service. I really should try and talk to some more people. I believe God will call us in everything, in every one of these areas. Let's come back to seeing him. Seeing the love that he has shown us. Seeing the love that he has put in us. And that out of that, out of that, would flow a heart for him and a heart for the lost. Now, those things I know particularly struck me. I believe they may well have struck others, but the areas I know, I want more of you, God. I want more of you in my life, more knowledge and understanding of all that you have done for me. So that not that I would make more effort, but that Oh, how could you hold me back? Because I'm loved by the King of Kings. And he draws me into relationship with him. But in these in every area, we need him. And we need his Holy Spirit. 